Coming up next on the Velocity One podcast, I'm going to give details as to how the baby formula shortage actually occurred in the U.S., as well as a detailed timeline of the horrific events that occurred in Uvalde, Texas. Also, an update from the sports world and why your man Elon Musk might be hustling backwards. All that and much more coming up next, Velocity One. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Velocity One Podcast. I am coming at you live from the castle here in the great state of Texas. Although I might have to hold off on that great part considering the way things are going. But you understand, you get my drift. Uh, That sound that you heard was Wanna Be Starting Something by the legendary Michael Jackson. And the interesting thing about my intro music is that sometimes I choose it. Sometimes I let other people choose it. Sometimes I even let the guests choose it. But today's was a bit of a toss-up between the song by Bad Bunny and that song by Michael. And what do you know, the old head won and y'all got hit with that jewel. You know your boy loved you for it. But tonight, uh, today rather, I am uh, not alone. I am joined by today's friend of the show, DC's very own Jeff Glade. Jeff, how's it going out there in Chocolate City? <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you for bringing me on again. Uh, I, I always like your introductions, uh, but it's it's really hot here in D.C., but we're going to try to make the best of it like okay. we always do. I mean, we're not, I guess since we're not as bad as whatever you guys are facing down there in that, that uh, pool of heat out there in hey, Texas. Hey, hey. Now, you got to be you got to be kind when you're talking. To, you know how we get down here. But uh, let's just dive right in. Um, the first uh, story that we have is we're going to cover the um, the massacre that occurred last week in Uvalde, Texas. And I'm actually hoping that I'm pronouncing it right because I'm not sure if I am. But uh, I'll, I'll continue to go with the name Uvalde. Um, the, the massacre that occurred and I thought about covering it the day that it happened, but I, I chose not to because the information that was coming out was untrue. Uh, and so I'm kind of glad that I kind of held off to give it a few days so that we could then pull out the truth. And uh, I've got together the timeline of events so that we can dispel the things that were happening and the things that were reported but actually were not occurring. And I'll run down that timeline really quickly for you uh, so that you can have an accurate account of just what happened. And then you can make your decisions as to whether or not you thought there was anything appropriate or inappropriate. But uh, here's the timeline of events. So roughly around 11.15-ish, the young man, the 18-year-old who was able to obtain the assault weapons, shot his grandmother in the face. Um, But he did not kill her. He shot her in the face. She didn't die. She was able to call 911 along with the neighbors. Um, But at that point, he had gotten into his truck and drove about two miles towards the school. Um, Now, he crashed his car outside of the school into a ditch, and there was a funeral home across the street where two people saw him crash his car. Those two people were headed towards him to help him until they noticed when he got out of the car that he had on a tactical vest and a rifle with a backpack that he had his ammo in. So those people then decided to turn and run the other way, to which he started firing at them, but he did not hit either of them. Those people were able to get to safety and call 911. Um, 
He then turned towards the school and started firing, to which a teacher was able at 11.30 a.m. to make a call to 911 as well. Now, this is where the story kind of, kind of goes a few different ways depending on who you listen to. So it was, it was originally reported that he engaged the resource officer outside of the school first. And actually, there was about four different versions of this story before we actually learned what actually occurred. But the first story was that he engaged in, with a um, resource officer before entering the school. Um, the second report was that he, the resource officer did not engage with him, but the resource officer followed him into the building. Then the third report was he shot the resource officer and the resource officer had to retreat to call for help. Okay, none of those were actually true. What we now know is that there was not a resource officer at all when he was about to enter the school. The resource officer wasn't there. In fact, when the resource officer did arrive at the school, the shooter had already barricaded himself inside and the resource officer mistakenly took one of the escaping teachers and thought that they were the shooter and ended up chasing that teacher. So the resource officer, he did not engage the shooter at all in any scenario. We know that that is what's accurate now as opposed to what was originally reported. Um, at 11... 33, this is basically three minutes after being outside with uh, the funeral home people that he shot at. At 11.33 a.m., the shooter enters the school. At 11.35 a.m., six officers and one deputy entered the school behind the shooter, well, at, into the door that he got into, which was left open by a teacher um, who propped the door open. Um, but the six officers and the one de deputy entered the school through the same entrance that the shooter entered two minutes after the shooter. The shooter then turned and fired at the officers. This is at 11.37 a.m. From 11.37 till 11.44, it's pure gunfire from the shooter. But it's unclear at that point if he had made his way to the classroom. Um... At 11.51 a.m., a police sergeant and the Border Patrol agent arrives at the school. So at this point, it's already being dispersed that there is an active shooter at the school and that all available law enforcement agents are um, dispatched to go and help if they can. At 11.51, the Border Patrol and a police sergeant arrive. At 12.03 this is now noon, 12.03, there's approximately 19 agents in the hallway of this school. But at that same time, at 12.03, there's the first call that they get from a student who's actually in the room where the shooter is shooting at 12.03. At 12.10 p.m., this same student calls back calls 911 back and tells the dispatch that people are dead. A lot of people are dead. At 12.13 p.m., 
that same kid called from inside the classroom asking for help. At 12.15 p.m., the tactical unit border patrol arrives. At 12.16, this kid calls 911 again for the fourth time and tells them that eight or nine people are still alive. At 12.21, the gunman fires again, but is believed by law enforcement that he is now at the door firing. So they move further down the hall. At 12.43 p.m., the kid calls the dispatch again and begs for police to enter because she can hear them outside of the hallway, outside in the hallway. Now, you got to understand from 1221 till about 1250, roughly, roughly 1250. It was roughly about 47 minutes from 1221. Roughly about 47 minutes had passed at that point before the Border Patrol tactical unit breached the classroom and they had to get a key from a janitor so that they could get inside because it was locked. Um, but they breached the classroom at 12.50 a.m. and that's where they were able to shoot and kill the suspect. Now, throughout the entire day when this happened, there was a lot of information getting released. Some of it irrelevant, actually a lot of it irrelevant. Some of it just flat out untrue. Um, the irrelevant things like the shooter was trans. He was from an immigrant from Mexico. Um, he was bullied in school. Like one, we've already learned that those things were untrue. None of those were true. Just like there being the resource officer that he engaged with, those were also untrue stories as well. Um, the probably more damning thing is the fact that when the law enforcement arrived in mass, the best they, they could do at that point, or at least in their opinion, was that they would form you know, a barrier to prevent the parents that were coming to pick up their children. And I'm pretty sure everyone has seen those videos now where you see parents yelling at the police to do something. Some of them are trying to get in. Uh, one man was uh, maced. Another woman was put in handcuffs. The same woman that was put in handcuffs, allegedly, they were able to convince the marshals to let her go. So they let her go. That same woman allegedly then ran, jumped the fence, and then got into school to get her kid out. Now, I don't know if that, that last part is true, that she did run and jump that fence and get her kid out. The first part is true because there's video of it, her actually when she was in cuffs. Um, that last part, I'm, I'm un, unsure. Um, then uh, it, was, it was alleged that some of the officers were going into the school to get their own children. Uh, that was being alleged by the parents that were not being able to go inside and get their children. Um, so 
we later found out that that was true. Now, it was a spokesperson DPS that actually verified that it was true. Some of the officers did go in to get their kids. Um, so, you know, you can you can take that for, you know, however you feel. It was it was basically verified by a law enforcement person that that indeed did happen. So there's not much speculation as to whether or not, you know, it happened or not. They, they basically said, yeah, we some of our guys did go in and get their kids. Um, I do know that there was a father, maybe two, that broke a window to the classroom that their kids was in to pull their kid out, which th then led to law enforcement running by that window. They didn't stop the man from getting his kid. They actually helped facilitate get more kids out through that window. So I guess that's quick thinking by him. You know, hey, desperate times, desperate measures. So kudos to that dad for um, for what he did. Uh, and Jeff, I don't know if you wanted to add anything to it or if I missed anything on that timeline. If you want to. You know. So I'm I'm kind of glad that you went down that um, timeline of the events because I initially reacted to just the first day's reporting. And the first day's reporting, uh, it sent out a lot of information and that I now know is not the correct information, you know. But I was initially under the impression from the very first day of the information that got released um, about um, him shooting a resource officer and this him being a trans student a trans guy from mexico uh yeah that's that's what that's what i initially heard the day of but i know now that that's not true he's not a he's not a trans person at all and he's not from mexico uh, i know that he's from north or south dakota originally like i know that stuff now but at the time um, you know, when we first spoke the day it happened, I was reacting, you know, from the wrong information. So I'm glad that you went down that, that timeline because, you know, I guess now I guess in hindsight, I guess, um, it would have probably been more beneficial to wait at least a day or two so yeah. that I could yeah, you know, I mean, get the actual right yeah. information. No, I, I, wrong. I feel you. I feel you. Um, the, the, the damning part that seems to be like the most um the part that where there's a lot of scrutiny i mean there's a lot of scrutiny to go around um the one that was being the, the most viewed at least the first day or so was the um the uh not the i was going to say the idea but it's not the idea it's the fact i guess so the fact that you know some of the officers went in to get their own kids while holding back the parents who were frantically wanting to go in and get their own kids. Now, from the law enforcement perspective, I understand why you have to prevent the public. You know, like you have to stop the parents from running inside because you, you're in a situation where you have to now, when you're going in, you have to try to neutralize this target while protecting the children. But if you let outside people come in, then you also need to protect those people. So you don't want to add to the amount of people that you got to protect. Now, their particular issue was that, you know, they may have been 
reluctant. I'm going to be kind and say reluctant and not negligent, but that certainly is a word that gets tossed in there. Uh, reluctant, you know, about going and protecting those kids, considering the way everything unfolded. But to the officers that went in to get their kids specifically while preventing parents from getting their kids do you what do you say to that part portion you know of the so that's the part that i find to be the most unforgivable part because i know that like i know you're not a parent but i am i have a son and the idea that you know god forbid that there's ever an an active shooter in my son's school uh, i would want to go in and get my son out and the i the the idea that some people can defend the actions of you know law enforcement going in and getting their own children but then preventing you from going and getting yours while not going in and getting yours themselves like that's the part that's so unforgivable and maybe i i i get so you know emotionally attached to that one because i'm a parent but that's the most unforgivable part just trying to imagine being on the outside being told you can't go in and get your kid while that officer is going in and getting their own to make sure their own is safe so that's the thing that i i don't see how that can be of defense in any fashion that 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 makes total sense man that that makes that makes i mean like from the parents but like i said you're right i i don't have any children so i can only at this point, live vicariously through friends and family who are parents, you know, like friends like yourself. And I have other friends who, you know, when I talk with them about this event and they telling me like, you know, how they would have reacted as a parent or how unsure they would have been. They don't know what they would have done in that situation. Like I can only get that type of information from people that are parents about the trauma that they would go through, how frantic they would have, what they would have did in a situation like that. You know, because sometimes you're not sure what you would do until you're in the situation. And for for those parents, I can only imagine the ones who kid was probably alive at the beginning of of this barrier being put up between them going in and the 47 minutes where 19 of the officers were there, but were not able to actually go in. And the reason that they were not able to go in was because the uh, commanding officer viewed the scene no longer as an active shooter, but instead he viewed it as a barricaded subs- barric- barricaded suspect. Now you got to understand, Uvalde ISD, their school district has its own police force separate from the city. That police force has six police officers. The police chief of those of that district, that was the man that was in charge of the entire thing in terms of strategy and how they were going to how they were going to uh, react. He was the man that made the decision that this was no longer an active shooter situation, but a barricaded suspect. I'm assuming and I'm just assuming here that he may have been operating under the idea that all of the children, like all of the people rather, were dead already. Now it's hard, 
it's hard to give that benefit of the doubt when you have a student or students rather inside with the shooter calling 911 basically begging for help this the this them call at 12:03 p.m. that was when the first call was made from a student inside it wasn't just one student that called it was multiple students but i was tracking the timeline from i think two uh, specific ones because if i had written uh, written the other ones my timeline would have been all over the place but 1203 we know that was the first time a student from inside called and it was 1243 so just take that into consideration 1203 you get the first call 1243 you get the last call from the kid and it's the same thing where they're just basically begging for somebody to come in and help and there's that part where that 10 year old girl had to dip her hand in the blood of her dead friends and smear it on her so that she could pretend like she was dead at 10 that 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 is some survival instincts because at 10, I'm not sure if I'm in that situation at 10, I would have had the mental thought like, oh, let me smear my friend's blood on me and pretend I'm dead. Like that's some, that's some quick thinking in a very stressful situation for that 10 year old girl to think that quickly, like, and that's in that moment, you know, and I can only imagine, you know, like I said, what the parents are going like, but Another group that's, you know, being sort of, I ain't going to say forgotten, but overlooked slightly for um, for their heroics would have been the teachers. Because uh, I do understand that there was a teacher who got shot twice and she was still able to manage to get to her door and lock it to prevent her students from getting killed. Now, that woman, she didn't die. She luckily, uh, she was able to survive the, the fact that she got shot twice. Um, but I, I think that there should be a lot of credit given to that woman for being able to save her students and, you know, the teachers for their bravery because as a teacher, it's very easy to be selfish in the moment like that, to think of a way you could save yourself, but to immediately go to how can I save all 25 or 30 of my kids, like that's bravery on another, another level. Right, because that 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 requires a level of of thinking that I don't think most people would be able to handle at that moment, you know. So, the the teachers, uh, hopefully, we don't we don't forget the ones that survived and the ones that unfortunately did not. Let's not forget those people, those teachers, and the job that they did because they deserve kudos just as much as those kids who did everything they could to survive, including the little girl who smeared her friend's blood on her to pretend she was dead. You know, that's some creative thinking in a stressful situation that a lot of people would not have thought of at that moment, you know. So I, I give a lot okay, of credit so to those. You already know how I feel about the Second Amendment. You know I'm yeah. a big proponent of guns. You know I love the Second Amendment. True. I do love guns probably more than anybody. Right. Um, with that being said, I think the solution, I'm not going to say it's a quite simple solution, but I do think that there is a solution that a lot of people gawk at, and they, but they probably shouldn't. I think it's actually a, a pretty solid solution, and I know that you disagree with it because you hate guns. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm come just on. kidding. I'm just kidding. But, we don't. Uh, and there's a few people that think that as long well, as you... Probably, 
Probably because, you know, you don't get as enthusiastic about guns. Yes, that's true. When, you know, the discussions come up, you're not as enthused as other people. But that's, that's just my, that's just my assumption about probably why you oh, come across this. It's probably you know, fair. Okay. You're, I know you're not, but yeah. I know. But, uh, but my, um, my solution that I think should be adopted is that we have to start giving teachers guns. I know you disagree okay. with that. Just hear me out before you, <laughs> you go on the rant. Yeah. Hear me out. I think that we should start giving teachers guns because when a situation like this occurs where even the police are reluctant to come in, at least, at least you will have someone that is near the students that has the chance to protect them. Even if they're unsuccessful, they at least have the chance to protect the kids. Because uh, I know I'm saying that it's going to be the end all be all, but I think that they at least have the chance. So, I mean, who knows? A teacher with a gun could save maybe a third of those kids that unfortunately got killed. So I think teachers having guns is a big solution but i know you disagree so you can go ahead and explain but i don't see very many you know um very many other ideas you know i just see people bashing guns like people hate guns and you take the guns i think that's like the worst but i mean i'm not trying to get you know all political on you because i know that you wanted to just go straight with the stories and not put our political leanings in. And I'm not trying to go political on you, but to be honest with you, a lot of the people from the left, they uh, have not been proposing any of the great ideas. Okay. They've just been bashing people. Uh, I know, okay. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, okay, but okay. I think teachers should have guns. I know you disagree, but I'll let you explain why. Okay, so, 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 the... Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try to break that down very quickly without going into too much detail. So, you are right. Uh, I do think that the, the, the teachers getting the gun thing is... I, I am on the opposite of that. And I'll tell you why. I, I do find it interesting that whenever that's proposed, it's typically proposed by people that are not teachers. I, I just find that part a little bit interesting. But... Shove aside, I'm going to shove aside the fact that you have the teacher that has the gun and now there's a shooting situation in the school. The kids now have to dodge two people shooting instead of one. All right, forget that. For, let's let's dot, push that part to the side. Let's push aside down. These teachers need to be able to teach as well as aim their gun at a gunman uh, and without shooting a student, because I'm assuming they would be running in all kinds of directions. So hopefully you got that kind of aim, which the best experts don't seem to have. All right. Shove that part to the side, because I don't think there's enough thought being given to the psychological effect of being in a shootout. Like it's very easy to simply say, just give them a gun Okay, there's an element to this. It's just give them a gun. Because being in a shootout is not something that you can prepare somebody for. And I mean that in any general sense, including in law enforcement sense. Whenever 
law enforcement's getting trained. You know, like let's let's say for instance, like SWAT, like when they do their trainings for SWAT, like they're not training with actual bullets. They're trained. Sometimes they train using um, paintballs, um, or non-lethal weapons, from what I've been told. But when you're you're training, you know, or when they're getting trained for these types of situations and shootouts. In training, you know that the person shooting or the thing shooting from the other side, it's not going to kill you. So it doesn't have the same psychological effect as being in an actual shootout where you know that the person on the other side has the intent of killing and that if they hit, they might be successful. We don't think about the mental stress that goes into a shootout. We just think about, well, you got a gun so you can shoot back. So shoot. But there have been plenty of people including in mass shootings like this, just like the one uh, in Parkland, unfortunately. They had a resource officer who was there who had a gun. Problem was, when it was time to engage in the shootout, his fight or flight senses, they kicked in and he ran. And a lot of people, they gave him a lot of shit for running, just like they're giving these officers here a lot of shit. Some of it is deservingly so. Actually, a lot of it in this case is deservingly so, considering how many of them it was versus just that one shooter, whereas the Parkland guy was by himself. Uh, and it was very clear that the gunman in that situation had the superior weapon. But he was in charge of protecting those students. Then, just like these guys were in charge of protecting those students now, and the teacher, the teachers who were not necessarily in charge of protecting, but in charge of educating, they became the protectors and the educators all in the same day. And now like putting, putting that responsibility on their shoulders, I think would be unfair to the job that they already do, which is already difficult enough as it is. And that's not just teachers. I mean, even school administrators of any capacity, it's it's the jobs that they do, which are already incredibly important and stressful. Adding here's this gun now be protector. I think you that's not something that you should be doing lightly. Just here's a gun engage in the shootout. Like I, I just really don't think that there's enough thought given to being in an actual shootout and then seeing psychologically what that does to people. I mean, that's that's just my thought well, I, on that. I part. think. I think that's a fair point. I do. I think I disagree with it in terms of it being counter to the solution, but okay. I do think that it's a fair point to make in terms of it being a concern. Okay. Okay. No, that's um, that's um, understandable, I guess. You know, I pretty pretty much figured that was going to be a, a point where we uh, we disagree, but you know, it ain't the first time for us. But um, That'll that'll wrap up that segment, um, unless you wanted to add anything. But uh, um, I guess the the next story. Uh, well, you know what? You're you're the moderator, right? You're the moderator, so you you can go ahead and uh, moderate. I guess that's how that would go. You can you can drive us drive the ship right on into the next story, if you will, sir. Kind kind sir. Well, the next story is about the baby formula shortage that has swept the nation. 
Um, it has led to some stores invoking rationing rules, which would limit the amount of baby formula an individual could purchase. Um, but the rules only lasted so long before eventually the stores had ran out of stock. It resulted in people having to travel to nearby cities to purchase more formula and as far as nearby states to purchase more formula. And people that needed specialized formula had to makeshift with what they could. And in the extreme cases, people would take their babies to the emergency room in hopes that the emergency rooms had baby formula on hand to feed the babies. Um, and in those cases, the parents did have the money to buy the formula. There was just nowhere to go to buy it because everyone is out. Um, and I believe you said that you did somewhat of a deep dive into trying to figure out how the country got into this position where we have a nationwide shortage and what they're doing now to try to relieve that. Is that so correct? That's correct, sir. That is very much correct. So, so the the um the the babe, I, the deep dive i did uh, i didn't really have to do much diving because i mean this shit is starting to get pretty much well known about just how you know how bad things have gotten so i'll break it down very quickly so as of right now there are two major companies that make the majority of the baby formula in the country they these two companies alone they make up about 80% of the baby formula and then the rest of it is from like a handful of factories. But the, the largest company is Abbott Labs. They make Similac. And then you have uh, Mead Johnson, which makes Infamil. All right. Now there used to be more major companies like Nestle used to be one. I forgot what the other one was, but there used to be more. Um, but they either got pushed out of the market because they couldn't compete with the prices or they just didn't find it profitable enough and then they just decided to forget it altogether. But 80% of the um, baby formula that's produced in this country is uh, created by these two companies. Um, but 50% of all of it that's actually purchased is... I know these numbers seem like they're getting jumbled together, but bear with me. 80% that's made is produced by two companies. 50% that's actually purchased in the country isn't by actual people, but by the government. And they use that um, as part of the food, nutrition, and supplemental program that they created for um, uh, underprivileged or, 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 um, or families of a lower income. But 50% of the formula is generally purchased by the government so it's typically a good business model for a company as long as your the government is your uh, your customer but um similac in and of itself which is produced by abbott labs they control about 43 percent of the actual market so they're the big dog in this market they actually dominate the market when it comes to this and so the abbott factory that was in Michigan, which is where the majority of their Similac formula is actually produced. This is where the issues started to occur. So the um, factory 
they were determined to meet this, the metrics because they have a certain amount that they like to produce in a day. Um, and if you notice over the years, baby formula has only increased. I know you know what? This probably surprising you as a person that has no children. But yeah, my research helped. But the price of baby formula has increased over the years because the amount of competitors have gotten smaller. So when one company or two companies start to dominate the market, they get to set the price higher because you don't have anywhere else you can go to get it. So that's kind of why the price can jump. So this um, factory in Michigan, which is ran by Abbott Labs, their Similac factory, they were trying to meet the metrics to, um, to, to get out the amount that, uh, that they were requiring to get out. That was a standard that they set. Um, but they refused to throw away at least one batch of the formula that tested positive for an infectious organism. And so they, they allowed for it to simply go on un, uh, knowing that it was positive for this infectious organism, which then caused, I believe, two babies to die and two other babies to get seriously sick with the infection. Um, they somehow are able to game the system in terms of the testing, because when the FDA comes and actually, when they actually wanna you know, follow the trail to see how you guys are doing the tests and uh, producing the baby formula to ensure that there are no harmful things inside. Like they figured out a way to kind of gain the system. And what they did was they started testing the cans before they put the formula in. And that would allow for them to, to kind of, kind of usurp, I didn't say usurp, but they, it allowed them to get around this because I mean, there's no formula in the can to actually test yet. You're still testing the can knowing what the result is going to be. And then you put the formula in and it might be tainted formula. You put it in on the back end and then you can just get it out and say that you tested it. Now, they've also been caught falsifying their records so that the FDA inspectors would not be able to tell. And since 2012, they've been unwilling. 2012, that's, that's, that's a long time. That's a really long time, but since 2012, they've been unwilling to fix the mechanical issues and modernize the plant so that instances like this don't occur as frequently as they do. Um, when, um, I can't, I'm trying to make sure I remember the actual, the just actual. Just a bunch of fucking criminals, man. It just really pisses me off. I mean, I mean, it makes me sick to my stomach. So they, they they kind of figured out a way that they could get around. And I, I get that you're getting upset, but they, they figured out a way to where they could get out of actually the, um, the, the lawsuit portion of it, because as this started to, um, as it, as it started to unfold, a lot of people were wondering like, how is it, that they were able to get away and, you know... Please not, tell me like, that someone went to jail or... Not necessarily. got sued because I don't, I don't understand how any of this can be 
legal in terms of them being allowed to get away. I, with I'll explain. It. I'll explain. I'll explain. So, in terms of it being legal, let me make sure get my notes just to make sure. So y'all can un help, you know, express just how they were able to get out of not being sued and not having anybody go to jail, which somebody probably should have. But the way they got to it, it was the CDC came and the CDC was doing tests on the formula because they were trying to find out, you know, if the babies that had died and the two that were sick got sick from the formula that was being produced at that factory. The CDC found no evidence that those babies got sick from drinking formula in that factory. So the company, um, Abbott Farms and Similac, they put out the statement saying basically like that we're not guilty because CDC, uh, they didn't find the string. That was the key that got them off. When the CDC did this investigation, they actually found five different strands of a bacteria uh, an infectious organism that could cause, you know, severe sickness and death in children. They found it five different ones. The problem was out of those five different ones that they found, none of those five matched the strand that killed the other two babies and got the other two sick. And so that's why they were able to skirt away was because essentially they said, oh, well, that strand wasn't the same ones you found here. Even though five strands were found here, it wasn't the same one. So we're not we're not liable. We, we can say, you know, we can use plausible deniability in this case. And so um, the the Similac company at from Abbott Farm, they were able to basically they shut down. They were about to get shut down from the five that the CDC found, but they decided to voluntarily shut down. Now, they are 43% of, they control 43% of the market. So when they shut down, this is about to start a chain reaction to the consumers. Now, you would think Infamil, who is their biggest competitor, would have been able to say, okay, fine. They shut down. Now we can take over their market. What happened with Infamil was that Infamil's parent company, which is located, I believe, in Great Britain, they decided they were going to put the company up for sale because it didn't meet the profit margins that they had set for that quarter. So now the biggest company is shutting down. The biggest company's competitor is not able to capitalize on the fact that they're shutting down. And so no formula is actually getting produced. So now you see this mass wave of baby formula shortage that starts to occur in the country and then now this started in february and we are now in may and the the shortage was seen coming since may considering what was happening um how we ended up letting it get to this point that is some questions that should be asked and answered by government officials who basically went to sleep on this thing while actually actively recognizing what was coming down the pipe. Now, the good news is, is that um, the current administration has since invoked the Defense Production Act to allow the rapid production of baby formula 
as well as purchasing it from overseas because apparently they tend to do this shit a little better in terms of regulating. So there is going to be an influx of baby formula coming and there is going to start being a mass production. Now as to how soon that'll get to the shelves so that people can, you know, protect their babies, uh, feed their babies. I, I'm not sure. I haven't been able to locate anything that could indicate an exact time frame. But I do know that it is coming here very soon. Um, you know, from the purchases that they're buying from the other countries and then the new Defense Production Act that was enacted, I think a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, that started the mass production um, of the baby formula. Uh, I do strongly wish that somebody from Abbott Labs had been arrested for this shit because, let's face it, it's purely negligent and it was done at the attempt of of people that just wanted to maximize their profits. So I, I, I don't think that anybody is actually going to be held liable since they've already been able to weasel their way out of the CDC's investigation. This is just, I guess, another case where, unfortunately, the kids have to pay the price for the bullshit that adults are failing to do. And that's just simply some oversight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I am still joined by a friend of the show, Jeff Glade. We had to take a brief break while uh, Jeff had to uh, repair his audio issues that he was having. So it, he may or may not be intentionally trying to sabotage the show as a result of him going through those audio issues. But I, I'm not going to directly accuse him of such nefarious activity. I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm just going to ask, why is it that you don't do the show with your phone like every other guest that's here? They use their phone so we can hear and understand them clearly. But you, sir, like to engage in your uh, your your microphone. Is it like you're special? Yeah, well, you're special. It's just, I, I could, you know, use my phone <clears throat> to do the... To do the um, to do the podcast with you, but I prefer to use my microphone because I hate holding my phone and I hate being having it on my ear and uh, holding it while it's on speaker. Like, I prefer to use my microphone. Now, I know that makes my voice sound a little weird whenever you play back your podcast, but that's fine. I, I guess I'll have to, I have to take the the bad that comes with the good. Isn't that how that saying goes? Hell no, that ain't how that saying goes. Who said that that's how that saying goes? Right, whoever said that, they was probably lying. That's all I'm saying. That's all. They was probably lying from somebody that, that I tell you what. I, I tell you what, the person that said that, they, they in all likelihood, uh, they, they had the good and didn't even think about taking the bad. That's all I'm saying. That, that, that's all I'm saying about that one. But let's let's move on. We can go on into our uh, our final story. You can uh, go ahead and moderate to the final story if you so, will. So okay, okay. I'll just I'll go on to the next story. So the next story is um, Elon Musk, who is the CEO of the car company Tesla, and uh, he has made a bid to purchase Twitter, the entire platform, for forty four billion dollars. Now, however, that 
purchase is now being put on hold as Musk is giving cold feet about purchasing the company after the drop in value of the Tesla company in excess of $400 billion. Because of that, Musk has tried to figure out if he can find a loophole into the deal of buying Twitter, citing material public misstatement by Twitter because he believes that they lied to him about the amount of bots that they have that are um, on Twitter that are not actual people. And he's hoping that he can use that to invoke a loophole known as the material adverse effect clause, which would allow him to back out of the deal, but he would have to pay $1 billion fee to break up that deal. And he would still risk being sued by Twitter as a result. What do you think about that? Oh, shit. It, it sounds to me like your man's, uh, he didn't have the capital anymore for this deal. Because if I'm not mistaken, he's still willing to buy it. He just wants to buy it at a lower price than that $44 billion. And he was fine buying it at the $44 billion, uh, $44 billion price before Tesla lost that $400 billion in value. So... Sounds to me like your man was out here, you know, he got to play with the funny money now. Since his pockets ain't the same, like they say he getting cold feet. Now he got cold cash because his money ain't flowing the same. Tesla dropped in value that massive. And so now he's made the business decision. Now. I don't think I want to make $44 billion purchase after I lost a $400 billion value out of the company. So it sounds to me like my man just didn't have a capital. He ain't broke or nothing. He just, he had a capital to pull off this. So he's got to figure out an easy way to get it. And you know what would be shitty is if the best way for him to get out of it, he still has to spend a billion dollars. You know how rich you, like just, just think of the absurdity of this. He's, he's in this deal that he wants to pull out of because in this deal, he'd have to buy the company for $44 billion. So he wants to pull out of it but he might have to pay a billion dollars to get out of it. Imagine being locked in some shit like that. You got to pay a billion dollars just to get out of the deal. And then you still might get sued after the fact for breaching the contract. Whew. I guess it's tough days all around for everybody. You, me, everybody. But that does that. That does it for us here on the Velocity One podcast. I want to give a big thank you to my man uh jeff for being on the show today for moderating and for being the co-host you did two jobs today so i'm really proud and happy about your brother thank you so much sir thank you yeah thank man you. i really appreciate you bringing me on today uh, i always enjoy doing this so this is really fun um but thanks again for bringing me on um when you're finished if you can just send it to me the audio so that i could listen to the podcast Again, once it's all put together, even though my voice is annoying on there, I still love to listen to it. Um, and I, I wish for you all the best out there in, you know, that Texas heat and those Texas crazies. Hey, 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 hey. the Texas crazies. I love my crazies, but I appreciate you too, man. And you take care, brother. All right, buddy. Take care. All right. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, that was my good good friend, uh Jeff Glade, um, thank you all for joining me 
And as always, I wish you all nothing but love. All right. Oh, as a person once told me, peace, love, health and wealth. Peace.